Today we'll be reading, continuing in Zephaniah, uh, we'll be reading the passage of chapter 1, verses 7 through 18. Uh, if you ha- require a pew Bible, it should be right in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 937. Bruce continues in his sermon uh, sermon series today, entitled with a uh, message, let's go call it that, called Silence is Golden. So if you follow along with me as I read. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of Mordar. For all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And will punish the men who are complacent. Or complacent. Those who say in their hearts, The Lord will, do, will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind, so they shall walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the ability to gather together, praise and worship your name, and how in awe we are of your power and your justice and also your mercy, God. I pray that you would uh, bless Pastor Bruce today, that as he gives his uh, message today, we would have open hearts and open ears, God. I thank you for your son in your name. Amen. It's golden, isn't it? Silence is golden. And if you're a parent, especially with kids still at home, small kids, that is, still at home, then you especially understand how golden silence can be. 
Silence means there isn't any noise. It means there's nothing to tend to. It means you can rest and relax. And that's golden. But silence with children can also be pretty suspicious. It means they're getting into trouble. It means they're trying to get away with something. And that's what we find here with God's people in Zephaniah. Except they thought that they were really getting away with everything. And they weren't even being quiet about it. Their idolatry arrogantly cried out in rebellion. As we saw last Sunday, they worshipped the false god of Baal in the temple of God. They worshipped the stars from their rooftops. They swore allegiance to Molech, another false god. And so their complacent had become so outrageous that they had actually become practical atheists. Proclaiming the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. They lived as if God didn't matter, and they weren't silent about it either, and neither was God. God had put up with their idolatry and their complacency long enough, and now God was warning them through the prophet Zephaniah that judgment was coming. But before they could hear God speak, something had to happen There comes a point when children are are running through the house, screaming and chasing one another, that something needs to be done. And that's usually when a parent gets up and yells, Quiet! And in the same way, Zephaniah stands up and he tells the people of God in verse 7, Be silent before the Lord God. Silence is golden, Because it means this. God is speaking. And he is speaking with authority as the divine judge. Silence is also golden then when the people are listening without excuse in humility. This call to be silent is, it implies a shock and an awe before the very presence of the Lord God. In other words, Stop what you are doing and listen to what God is saying about his coming judgment. In fact, the title that Zephaniah uses here, the Lord God, it indicates the very personal nature of God. It indicates the very power and majesty of God. And so by using this title, Zephaniah is showing us the significance here, the urgency here, the importance here of his call for silence. God is speaking. And he is speaking with all authority as the sovereign Lord and the divine judge of the universe. And that also means then silence is golden because people are listening without excuse in humility. In fact, it is our only response before God. In the presence of this divine judge, there is nothing to say. There is no excuse to offer. And yet, in our arrogance, what do we often do? We proclaim our innocence when we are knee-deep in sin. And in that matter, we're no different than Adam and Eve in the garden, where we are still prone to make excuses. We are prone to blame others for our sin and even to cast ourselves as victims before a holy God. And so Zephaniah tells us in verse 7, Be silent before the Lord God. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. 
So stop what you're doing and listen. The day of the Lord is near. Be silent, in other words, so that you can actually think about and ponder on, meditate about the significance of this coming day of judgment. Be silent so you can hear God speak. In light of God's coming judgment, then, silence is golden. Another Old Testament prophet said the same thing in Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Paul writes about this need for silence in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And so silence is golden. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. In fact, the day of the Lord is so close that you can hear it. Zephaniah says later on in verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. In fact, in 586 B.C., the people of Judah experienced just that. They experienced God's judgment, His wrath, when Babylon invaded Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But Zephaniah is also looking ahead to the ultimate day of the Lord when judgment comes upon the whole world at Christ's return. The lack of silence, though, before the Lord is deafening. It's appalling. In fact, the lack of silence before the Lord is the greatest danger in our country and churches today. Everyone has an opinion, it seems like, and everyone feels the need to either post it or tweet it. But how many are actually listening to God speak today? Silence is only golden for so long. And God breaks the silence with his warning of judgment. And the reason God wants us to be so silent is so that we can actually hear him speak. And what he wants us to hear through the prophet Zephaniah is two things. Two truths. And the first of which is this. He wants us to hear the wrath of God on the day of the Lord. You see, time and again, the prophets had warned God's people. Time and again, they had called God's people back to the Lord. But time and again, the people of God had ignored God's word and even rebelled against God. And Zephaniah had already told the people that they deserve God's judgment for their sin. And now he tells them, God has had enough. The day of the Lord is coming. God's day of wrath is near. And yet his purpose, remember at the very first message we learned this, Zephaniah's purpose here was not to drive the people to despair, but to drive them to their God. In other words, his whole goal in this is to shine a light on their spiritual darkness, to provoke them to repent and return to the Lord before it's too late. And so when Zephaniah writes about the wrath of God, he's not speaking about God's sinful anger, but rather about God's holy reaction against sin. For there is no sin in God. His anger is never sinful. It's only righteous. It's only holy. And when Zephaniah writes about the jealousy of God, he is acknowledging God's devoted love for his redeemed people that will have no rival. And so in the rest of chapter 1 here, Zephaniah begins to lay out, he begins to describe what God's wrath will be like on the day of the Lord. 
First of all, we see, notice this, that the wicked will be punished on that day. They will be punished on the Lord's day of judgment. Zephaniah knew the spiritual darkness that covered Jerusalem. And so he does not hesitate to call out certain groups of people within the city who will experience, who will feel God's wrath. And he begins with the the leaders, the civil leaders of that day. In verse 8, he says, On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. No one should have been more of a spiritual leader for God's people than the king and his family. Instead of setting an example, though, there was a lineage of kings who had dishonored God and they would now feel the full weight of God's wrath. In fact, it's even possible that this reference that Zephaniah alludes to here, that of all who array themselves in foreign attire, it includes anyone who scorned the worship of God by wearing clothes that identified with their pagan culture around them. It may seem harsh, at least to our ears, for God to disapprove so strongly about people not wearing Hebrew dress. But we need to remember that those who who wore foreign clothes were now identifying themselves, aligning themselves with a pagan culture rather than with the God that had saved them out of slavery in Egypt. As one author says, God's people were eroding the distinction between themselves and the world around them, exemplifying a failure of loyalty to the Lord and a carefree attitude toward His law. And even today, although we are under grace, we understand that, and we are not under law, as Christ followers, even today, our lifestyle still matters. We need to consider how we live, what we watch online, and even how we dress, especially in a culture which is obsessed with sensuality, if I can say that word, and sexuality. But let us, we here at LifeBridge, as Christ followers, may we be obsessed with holiness instead. May we pursue an identity in Christ that's reflected in how we live, what we do. Not only would the civil leaders feel God's wrath, but the downward spiral continues with those who serve them. God says in verse 9, look at it. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Now there's some debate as to what this actually means, but it's likely that the people of power in that day within the city were using their henchmen to carry out raids for them. In other words, they would, they would rush into people's houses to steal, often jumping through the door or, or over the threshold by force or by violence to get whatever they could. It was oppression by the upper class, and it showed how they had abandoned the standards of God's laws altogether. God's judgment would also fall on those who think they are secure because of their wealth. But God reminds us that there's no security apart from him here in verses 10 and 11. Look at it. He says, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a well from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Well, O inhabitants of Mordor. And that is just a, a reference to the market district in the city of Jerusalem. 
For all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. And so Zephaniah imagines the invading army of Babylon starting at the fish gate in the city, moving through the second quarter of the city, causing cries of anguish and sorrow even among the business community. The destruction of their homes on the hills outside of the city could be seen, it could be heard, and it seems that nothing can save them from God's judgment, especially not even their wealth. Everything they had worked for would be destroyed. And yet God, in his mercy, is still appealing to them to mourn over their sins. He says, well, O inhabitants of the city. Lament, in other words. See what you are doing. Understand your complacency and your idolatry before the Lord and mourn and well and return to the Lord. God now turns his attention to the complacent and Zephaniah says, number two, that the complacent who think God will do nothing will now lose everything. The complacent, as we have learned already, they thought God was irrelevant. God didn't matter. And so they live for themselves, making themselves the master of their own lives. And as a result, God would see that their, their destruction was complete too. God says in verse 12, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. In fact, this idea of God searching Jerusalem with lamps, it's a reminder to us even today, that nothing, nothing is hidden from the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us, it says, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him, to whom we must give an account. This is a humbling truth. But it's also a very reassuring truth. It speaks to us of a God who is just, a God who hates injustice. But it also speaks to us about a God who knows everything, who sees everything about us. He judges the hearts of each of us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives and the circumstances of our life. And so just as God searched the many dark corners in Jerusalem with lamps... And so he searches the dark corners of our lives with the light of his word. And he does this with perfect justice, perfect knowledge, and perfect love. The complacent here in Zephaniah who thought God would do nothing, they were in for a rude awakening. They were about to find out just how wrong they were about God. God declares in verse 13, look at it. He says, their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. And so here is a warning of God's judgment on people who think that they can just ignore God in their lives. And there's no consequences for it. Who think that they can pursue their dreams of making money, getting married, buying a house, having kids, pursuing that career, doing this or doing that. And doing it all without any thought of God's will and God's word. The complacent are like the people in the New Testament church that that James confronted in James chapter 4, 13 and 16, where he says, come now. 
you who say, oh, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's what's going on here in Zephaniah's day with the complacent, God's people. And yet, how many of us, I wonder, are just like the complacent? We make our plans for life, and do we even consider any thought about God's will and God's word when we do that? God is concerned with every aspect of our lives. God wants us to follow him in every area of our lives. Zephaniah continues by describing the dread and fear on the day of the Lord. Notice this, number three, the day of the Lord is unlike any other day, and it's terror. Do you remember a time as a child when your mother had, quote, had enough? How many have a mom like that? You remember when your mom had had enough? Man, I can still remember a few times when my mom had had enough, usually because of the bad behavior of my two younger brothers. That was a joke, Todd, for you. When mom had enough, listen, us three boys, we knew that we had crossed the line and that the wrath of mom was coming. And the rest of chapter 1, resonates with the same type of response from God, only far, far worse. What we see here is a series of declarations that are among the most terrifying in all of Scripture. God has had enough as he turns up the heat on his people. And so in what should be read like an intensifying crescendo, Zephaniah declares that God's wrath is coming, and that day will be like will be unlike any other day in its terror. The day of the Lord, Zephaniah says, is coming, and it's coming soon. This day of God's wrath came upon God's people again when Babylon ransacked the city of Jerusalem. And that day points forward now to a final great day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath at the end of time when, as Zephaniah declared graphically in verse 18, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And so Zephaniah saw God's wrath on the city of Jerusalem as a sign or as a forward pointing, a glimpse, if you will, of God's wrath on the whole world at the end of the age. And so Zephaniah begins by calling upon the people of God to to hear God's warnings about this coming great day of the Lord. He says in verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast, the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. The point is that there is absolutely no time left to to vacillate, to wander between disobedience and obedience. The cry of Zephaniah is a cry to turn from sin and return to the Lord and to do so now before it is too late, for we do not know when Christ will return. It could be even today. But too often, God's people turn a deaf ear to God. Therefore, Zephaniah goes on to describe the results of God's wrath in verses 15 through 17. Look at it with me again. It says, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, 
a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. He says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. And so what we see here is that God's wrath on mankind at the end of the age is shockingly intense. The descriptions here are filled with terror. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry. And worst of all, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. This is bone chilling. Zephaniah wants us to know that God's wrath will be soon, sudden, and sure. And most of all, God's wrath will be intense. It will result in distress, desolation, despair, darkness, defeat, and death. Make no mistake about it, the day of the Lord will be unlike any other day in its terror. And to avoid any confusion about all of this, Zephaniah tells us again why God's wrath is coming on the day of the Lord. Notice number four here. Sin is the reason for this day of complete destruction. Some people dismiss this idea, though. Some people dismiss the concept of a final day of judgment as Zephaniah describes it here. Many people even today, even in our churches across our country, think if God is so good and if God is so loving, surely he will not destroy the world that he's made and the people in it. That's their thinking. And that thinking often leads to a false doctrine called universalism which says all people eventually will be saved and end up in heaven. And yet Zephaniah is telling him that is not so. Zephaniah wants us to understand that God is not only good and loving, but he is also holy and just. And as a holy God, he must judge sin. And humanity has sinned big time. And so Zephaniah makes clear the reason for God's wrath in verse 17. Because they, us, have sinned against the Lord. And then he makes clear the terrible consequences of sin in the last part of verse 17. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Furthermore, Zephaniah points out that humanity is unable to say itself, which is so counterculture to the worldview that we live in today. Because our worldview, the culture here, especially in America, says I can save our, we can save ourselves from anything. We can save ourselves from climate change. We can save ourselves from this tragedy, this, this, this. We have the mindset, we have the the academia elites in our country to lead us to this. We can buy ourselves out of trouble. 
We can save ourselves. And yet Zephaniah is pointing out that humanity is unable to save itself. It is unable to escape the just judgment of God's wrath. People think that if you have money, you have security. And that you can just buy your happiness. You can buy your protection. You can buy your way out of trouble. But Zephaniah reminds us in verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Listen, you can be as rich as Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk combined, and it will never be enough to save you on the day of God's wrath. Wealth is no barrier to God's judgment, and yet it's apparent that possessions had consumed God's people, especially within the city of Jerusalem. They had become full-blown worshipers, bowing at the feet of the God of materialism, seeking after it for their happiness and placing their hope in it. And they were now forced to recognize how powerless it was, how empty it was to save them in the face of God's wrath. God is speaking. Are you listening? Hear the wrath of God on the day of the Lord. Listen, our God is a fiercely jealous God who will not share the affections with another. His wrath still burns against our complacency and idolatry today. As Zephaniah spoke, the time was drawing near for God's judgment on their sin to be poured out. And it was a terrifying prospect. God is still speaking today and the question is, are we listening? Hear. Hear the wrath of God that is still coming on the great day of the Lord. Hear what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul says that because of these things, that is because of complacency, because of our idolatry, the wrath of God is coming. Hear what God is saying. There is a day of judgment still to come. A day on which the wrath of God will be displayed against sin and his character will be vindicated. God is still the divine judge of all the earth and the day is coming when his Perfect justice will be satisfied. So where does this leave us? Is there any hope for sinners like me? Is there any hope for sinners like us here in this room? And the answer is yes. The reason God is warning his people through Zephaniah is because of his love. Why would God send Zephaniah if he didn't love them? God could have just written them off. But instead, what does God do? God acts. He warns. He intervenes into their lives. And so now Zephaniah not only wants us to hear the wrath of God. Listen, he wants us to hear the mercy of God on the day of the Lord. Now, if what Zephaniah says about God's wrath is true, and it is, then how can there be any hope for us? 
If we are all idolaters at heart, and we are, then how shall we escape the outpouring of God's wrath? And the answer is that even in the Old Testament, there was mercy for repentant sinners like us. There was a refuge available to all of those who would humble themselves, turn and seek the Lord. And so here... Please hear the mercy of God in chapter 2, verse 3, when Zephaniah says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Hear the mercy of God that was proclaimed years earlier to the people of God in Exodus 34, 6, 7, it says, The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so there would be a future hope for a remnant of God's people beyond the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. The people who heard Zephaniah's terrifying warning about God's wrath could also remember Isaiah's comforting words about their future restoration. Words that look forward to a day when the people's iniquity would be pardoned. A day when their sins would be paid for in full. And that hopeful future was possible for the very people of Judah because of the coming servant of the Lord whose suffering would finally pay for their sins. That servant, Jesus Christ, would take their place under God's wrath and thereby provide for them a refuge in which the remnant could hide on the day of judgment. So how can there be any hope in the outpouring of God's wrath? Here's how. Look at it. See it. Hear it. God's wrath and mercy meet and merge on the cross of Jesus Christ. The place where hope and refuge is found for repentant sinners like us. If you go back to verse 7. Look what Zephaniah says. He says, be silent before the Lord God. For the day the Lord is near. And then notice what he says. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. What does that mean? It simply means that the Lord prepared Judah and Jerusalem as a sacrifice for their sins. They would pay the price. And the consecrated guest are the nations that God set apart to be the instruments of his wrath. But notice this. In God's mercy and in his grace and in his love, God has also prepared another sacrifice to bear his wrath on the cross. As we have heard, Zephaniah describes the day of God's wrath on his people in terrifying language. It's a day of darkness and distress. It's a day of ruin and anguish. It's a day when blood will be spilled like water and bodies scattered on the ground like trash. But this terrible depiction of the outpouring of God's wrath is nothing compared to the ultimate outpouring of God's wrath at the cross. On that dark day, on that distressing day, listen to me, Jesus took the full force of God's wrath on himself for the very payment of our sins. And so if you want to see 
the seriousness of God's wrath against sin, then look at the cross. And if you want to see the lavishness of God's mercy towards sinners like us here this morning, then look to the cross. The cross is where the justice of God is put on full display for all the world to see. And what we see on the cross is that God's justice does not run counter to his love. It runs parallel with his love. And yet, God's justice is one aspect of his character that is way misunderstood in our culture today and in our churches today. What is justice? Simply put, justice means to do what is right. And when we learn that God is just, we can be assured that God will always, 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 always do what is right. That means God would cease to be God. He would cease to be just if he just dismissed our sin, if he just ignored our sin, if he just looked the other way from our sin. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper put it this way, the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. This is what makes the cross so majestic, so powerful, so beautiful. As another author writes, Micah Fries, that God condemned his son to die testifies to God's justice. That God allowed his son to die in our place testifies to his grace. The cross is why we now, still today, we can hear the mercy of God on the day of the Lord. The question is, are you listening to God speak? Do you hear the wrath of God that's coming on the day of the Lord? Do you also hear the mercy of God that's provided for you in Jesus Christ? Be silent and hear God speak. For judgment is coming, but there's also mercy and hope for those who repent and turn to Jesus Christ as their Savior and King. So here's the final takeaway when it comes to the day of the Lord. And I plead with you as Zephaniah pleads with us. Don't be complacent. Don't be complacent toward God. Listen, the Lord acted in the past. The Lord is active now. And the Lord will act in the future. And may that truth cause us to seek the Lord now and to serve the Lord today. You see, the people thought, in Zephaniah's day, that God would do absolutely nothing, either good or bad. But our God is not a do-nothing God. Listen, our God is alive, and our God is aware, and He is active. We worship a living God who acted in the past with mercy and wrath. And God is active now today. He is calling people to Himself. He is intervening in our lives, even through a pandemic. And He is delaying His judgment so that we, and more than us, even outside of these walls, may come to repentance and saving faith in Jesus Christ. But judgment is coming on the great day of the Lord. 
And this truth, it should motivate us, it should cause us, it should stop us in our tracks and cause us to seek the Lord before it is too late. It should compel us then to serve the Lord till He comes again. But most people in our day don't believe such a day is coming. This is definitely the worldview of our culture, but unfortunately, this view has crept into our churches. They think God will do nothing, either good or bad. But they are wrong. Paul tells us in Acts 17.31 that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. But folks, listen to me. If you are constantly swimming in the waters of our culture's worldview without ever renewing your mind in the truth of God's word, then you will never stop to ponder this truth. You will never hear it. Listen, scrolling through social media for hours a day will never give you a sense that final judgment is coming. Let us be in the word of God, turning the pages of God's word and renewing our minds with the truth of God's word way more than the hours we spend scrolling on social media. Zephaniah wants us to know that silence is golden because God is speaking. And when we are listening, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your gracious, loving warning of judgment to come. But Father, we need help. We need open hearts so that we may hear your coming wrath for our sin, but also to hear your mercy that is provided in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, forgive us of our complacency, and may we seek you in repentance before it's too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I already mentioned, next Sunday we will pause and take a a break from our series here in Zephaniah to focus on God's abundant grace and provision to our church uh, to just give thanks to God. So I hope you will come next Sunday for that, and then the Sunday afterward we will pick back up and continue in this. Uh, Just want to remind you, though, to to continue to worship the Lord through our giving of our tithes and offerings and even the faith promise to support global missions. And uh, we appreciate your faithfulness and generosity so much. And obviously, give in person here when you come or online, whatever your preference is. If you need help, uh, it's always available. Our church is here to help those in need, and uh, whether it's with financial assistance or food assistance. And so contact us, reach out to us, and let us know. Remember, silence is golden when God is speaking and people are listening. Yes, hear the wrath of God that's coming, but also hear and even proclaim 
the mercy of God that's provided in Jesus Christ. And no, leave here knowing what Paul writes in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. May that be true of your life here this morning. You are dismissed.